0: Zechariah chapter 4 And let's stand together as we read Beginning in verse 8 Moreover the word of the Lord Came unto me saying The Lord is speaking To Zechariah and one of his prophets The word of the Lord came Unto me Zechariah writes Saying and here is a Message the Lord gave To Zechariah The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. The house they're talking about is the uh, reconstructed, rebuilt temple that was destroyed uh, by Nebuchadnezzar's army when the Babylonians captured Israel. And they tore down the walls of the city, destroyed the walls of the city, the book of Nehemiah. Is a book devoted to talking about the leadership of Nehemiah and restructuring, rebuilding those walls. Everybody pitched in, built sections of the wall. And inside the wall was the temple. And so the hands, verse 9, of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands also shall finish it. That's a promise. That the house, the structure will be complete. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts ...hath sent me unto you. And verse 10 is where we'll uh, spend a good part of our time. This thought in verse 10. For who hath despised the day of small things? Now you can read that passage and not really have any clue as to what he's talking about. But we'll look at it uh, together in a little bit. But basically, they're, bu- they're rebuilding. This is an exciting time. They're rebuilding what Nebuchadnezzar's army destroyed... And and the temple is the centerpiece of the nation of Israel. I mean, it's just, it's where they worship, it's where they meet, it's just, it's everything to them. They're rebuilding it and getting it back to where it should be. But there was a negative view about it. Some people weren't too excited about it. It didn't didn't really compare to Solomon's temple. And we'll show that in a minute. But that's why he says in verse 10, For who hath despised the day of small things? In their minds, it wasn't uh, everything they'd hoped it'd be, I guess. For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with these, with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. So I want to speak really on the importance of little, little things, um, little steps. Little, little steps are a big deal, and these people did not see that. God, I mean God is going to a lot of trouble to try to encourage these people, and a lot of it had to do with the way they saw things and this is let me just say this before we pray perception is an important thing how you how you perceive things to be, how you see things um a person, for instance, I could take any person here tonight and they're they might see themselves and say, say, well, my contribution, what I'm able to do for the Lord or in, in for, for my world, the world I live in, is insignificant. But other people may see it and say, we couldn't live without you. It's all about your perception. It's how you see things. You know, if a person is making, and this this has to do with the new year and hoping to put together a positive direction in our lives. But when a person is making small but positive, consistent steps in a better direction. They may think it's minor, but others may see it as being major. And it's all in the way you see it. All of us are a work in progress. And sometimes we look at life and think, I just need to make such big, large, radical, overwhelming changes in my life. And really, that may be true. But usually, positive changes happen little steps at a time right? And people throw in the towel and give up and quit because they say, I just can't do it. But I'll tell you, every one of us can make positive steps in the right direction. So little steps are a big deal. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this prophecy. Thank you for your faithful servants of the Old Testament. And God, thank you for how you worked in this era, this time, this age of the people of Israel. What a mighty work you did, arousing the interest of. Cyrus, the king of Persia, to begin the journey back, back to their homeland, to rebuild, to start over. Lord, what a great period of history this was. We pray you'd bless as we study together and find some helpful application for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, a part, this, this to me is interesting. It's just really noteworthy that the we have in verse 7, or verse uh, verse 8, where the Lord speaks to Zechariah. And, and one of the things he's going to talk about is the attitude of God's people toward God's work. For who hath despised the day of small things? The word despised means they've looked down upon it, or they saw it, they disdained it, they didn't appreciate it. And again, all this to me goes back to perspective. Uh, a person's perspective. Um, uh, my, my favorite Andy Andrews book is The Noticer. How many of y'all have read that book, The Noticer? Good number of us. And uh, it's just a great book about, about a person in there who helped helps people get a better perspective about where they are in life. Now, let me tell you something. Your perspective will not completely change where you are but your perspective will help get you in a better direction and we all need that people need that you say well this is the only way i can see it well maybe maybe somebody else could help you see it differently right and and that's one of the reasons i like that book this this uh this is about god saying to his people you don't have the right perspective you're not you're not seeing accurately and I, I I can take that and translate it into our own lives. Now, again, God is speaking to Zechariah the prophet. The word of the Lord, it says in verse 8, came to him. And uh, God is speaking about the work of Zerubbabel. In verse 9, it says, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. Now, I pronounce that Zerubbabel. I'm not sure how it should be pronounced, really. The last part, it's really a combination of two words. The last word is... Is B A B E L Babel, and it's like Babylon. The word Zerubbabel means born at Babel. So that may not be the right way to pronounce it, but that's who Zerubbabel is. Now, who is Zerubbabel? If you read in the Book of Ezra, if you read in Zechariah, if you, you you're reading about to me one of the most interesting times in Israel's history when they are coming back to reoccupy their homeland, and Zerubbabel was like the head of the tribe of Judah. He was, he was the leader among these people and the leader among these building projects. And the temple is being rebuilt. There's two projects going on. The building of the walls, the building of the temple. And verse 9 is a promise. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. And you can read about that in Ezra. We'll look, at, we'll look over there maybe a moment. He's laid the foundation of this house. That's the beginning. His hands shall also finish it. So it's a promise that this temple will be completed. And um, hold your finger right there and mark that place in Zechariah. I mean, yeah, in Zechariah. And go with me, if you would, to the book of Ezra. Ezra is before Psalms. You have Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalm. Ezra chapter 5. Um, and we, I want to do this just to see the influence that Zechariah is having on this building project. Ezra chapter 5, page 613 in your Cambridge Wide Margin Bible. By the way, just for the record, very important announcement. If anybody here has Brother Steve Sites' Bible or knows where that Bible is, He has a big reward for you, right? So, if you've got his Bible, if you have a Bible you think might be his Bible, if I had a Bible that I thought might be his Bible for the reward, I'd talk to him about it. Talk to him about it. Ezra chapter 5 and verse 1. Now notice this. Then the prophets, Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. So here again, we see the role of Zechariah as a prophet, helping to point people in the right direction to have the right perspective. Uh, Young person, if if you have a mom or dad that helps point you in the right direction, you ought to be thanking God for that. Or a Sunday school teacher that does that. Or a good friend that does that. So here the preacher, the prophets, Zechariah, are doing that very thing. Turn to the right just a little bit to Ezra chapter 6 and verse 14 says, And the elders of the Jews builded, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. They're listening to the preaching, they're taking the preaching as being from God to help them, to help them have the right perspective, to help them be focused, and God is using that. You know, um, you find this, and this is not what the sermon's about, but you find this in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, how God uses the proclamation of truth, to help people stay focused, to go in the right direction. It would be a very foolish person that says, well, you know, I know what I want to do, and I'm not going to listen to anybody else. That is the, Those are the words of a fool, really. We need God's help and God's direction. So, back to um, Zechariah, if you'd go back there with me. We see this prophecy, Zechariah's preaching The prophecy is that Zerubbabel will be finishing the work in verse 9. And then this question in verse 10. Let's zone in on this a little bit. For who hath despised the day of small things? What does the word despise mean? The word despise means to disrespect. It means to disdain. It means not to fully appreciate. God is saying this. God is saying this through his preacher, Zechariah, to the people, and he says, who, who has despised the day of small things? They're comparing, and we'll see this in a moment from Haggai, they're comparing the new structure that's going up with the old structure built in Solomon's day. And everybody here, well maybe not everybody here, but a lot of you know that that was just a, such an amazing structure. Exceeding magnifical is the way uh, David said it should be built, and it was. It's beautiful. And when you, if you if you ever have an opportunity to go to Israel, the place where that temple once stood now is the Temple Mount. Now it's a it's a building for the worship of Allah uh, for Muslim for Islam. But it's, but it's, but the place it sat, you can you can visualize how large. How beautiful, how demanding that structure was in Solomon's day. But it was destroyed. And now they're rebuilding it. So some people were despising it. They, they said it was a small thing. Who hath despised the day of small things? You know, something can be small in number or small in size. But they, to them it was not large. They're minimizing what's happening. They're minimizing what is happening what God is doing in their day, and I'll show you in a moment, it's God that's doing this. But they're looking down upon it. They're not, they're not making it large in their minds. And, they, and notice what he says. Um, he just says, who, who is doing this? Who has this, who has this faulty perspective? Now, I'm, if you're in the book of Zechariah, just hold your place right there and go to the left, to the book of Haggai. One book. Haggai was a prophet also at the same time, a contemporary of uh, Zechariah. But look in Haggai chapter 2, and here Haggai's words leave no doubt as to what God is addressing in Zechariah chapter 4. Haggai chapter 2 verse 1. In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying... Speak now to Zerubbabel. Notice both these, both of these prophets had a message from God, and both of them had something to say to the leader, Zerubbabel. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, a governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jozadak, the high priest, and to the residue of the people. Now, who, who is this message from Haggai? God gives to Haggai. Who's it for? It's for Zerubbabel. It's for uh, Joshua. And it's for, notice the last part of verse 2. The residue of all the people. It's for everybody. This message is for everybody. Look at verse 3. Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Now, you know, if you couldn't get what we were, the point we're trying to make by looking in uh, the book of Zechariah, you should, can surely get it here because God says in clear language, compared to the old temple, what you're looking at now is like it's nothing in your eyes. Their perspective, their perspective was not right. And, uh, and, and look what he says in verse 3. I love the language. How do you see it now? In your eyes, what what is what does this new temple look like? And he says, It is not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing. It's like it's nothing. Now, who is he speaking to here in verse 3 of Haggai 2? He says, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? So there were some people in the congregation who saw this first house. Right? Now, just for... Review review's sake, how long had these people been in Babylon? How long? Seventy years. So if anybody was here who had seen Solomon's temple, they were 70 years plus, right? Plus whatever they were when they left and had to go into captivity. I mean, if they were, uh, just if, if they were five or six years old and they could still remember the temple then they would be 75, 76 in that neighborhood, mid-70s. If they were 15 years old when they went away, they may be 90 years old, but they could remember it. But here's the thing. Most people could not even remember what the first one looked like because most of these people were born in Babylon. They've They've been there for 70 years. So he asked the question, How many of you can remember what it was like, this first temple? And that, that was their problem. They, saw, they remembered what it was like in its grandeur, in its beauty, and they knew this one was not quite like that. And so to them, it's just not, it's not, it's not worth getting all excited about, right? So, it was, looking again, in verse 3 of Haggai chapter 2, is it not in your eyes, the way you see it, in comparison of it, as nothing. Now, one more other thing I want to mention in Haggai, and we'll leave Haggai. And that is this. How did God see this new temple? We see, we see how the older people saw it. How did God see it? Let's, let's just look at a verse here. Haggai chapter 2 and verse 9. And this is what God says. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. So they, the people are saying, it's just not as good as it used to be. It's just not what it used to be. It's, it's just, we, we, we want the other one. That's their perspective. But God's perspective is, this latter one is going to have more glory than the first one did. Do you see that? It's very clear. So here are these people. They were going by what they could see, what they thought was right. But what they were thinking was right and correct and good perspective was completely different than God's perspective. And by the way, the same thing happens in our lives. We think what we see. You know, a person could be genuine and say, "Well, God, you know, God could never use me. God would not. There's no way God would have." A, that you, and they really think that. But I'm telling you, God may have something completely different in mind. Right? By the way, what what made the glory of this latter house, the smaller version, greater than Solomon's house? Anybody want to guess? Because it is the temple that Jesus would come into. This temple would have greater glory because Jesus himself in the New Testament would come into this temple. This one that they despised. This one that they looked down upon. This one that they disdained. And I hope I'm not getting too far into the weeds for you, but I'm just saying we need to make sure we're seeing things accurately. Seeing the way God wants us to see. And... To them, this was little, and therefore it was despised. And, and if you just take that simple problem that they had, I'm not being hard on them. It's normal. You know, if you, if you were to have a house, let's just say you had a nice big house, and there was a tragedy, your house burned down, the insurance company gave you enough money to build about half the version you had, and you might be glad to have a half size house, but a part of you would be saying, this house is nothing like the house I used to have, right? And that's kind of the way they were. But they were wrong in the way they were looking at it. And often, we look at things that we think are little or insignificant and sort of despise those things. There's a, there's There's a... A tendency I believe in life and maybe it's just our culture maybe it's where we are as a nation or a people but everything wants to be needs to be bigger and more spectacular and larger and more exciting but I'm telling you in God's eyes God's eyes his perspective often is a lot different than our perspective is I mean if you were to look at if you were, for instance if you had looked at the group of people That Jesus was giving the great commission to. The people who are going to take the gospel to the planet. And look how he he started with 12 people and one of them was a loser. Right? They weren't weren't professional people. They weren't experts. They weren't orators. They weren't philosophers. They were fishermen. To look at that you'd think this this movement doesn't have much of a chance. But you're not looking at it. We wouldn't be looking at the way God looks at it. God's perspective is different. And so in this text, God is appreciating what is smaller while others despise it. And God's opinion, by the way, is always the more reliable opinion. Wouldn't you agree? So God's interested in little things. You you think about that. God is that way. We may not be that way. God is that way. God, God sees sparrows fall. Nothing against sparrows, but they're a dime a dozen. God sees them when they fall. God knows how many hairs are on your head. Right, God collects tears in a bottle. Uh, god never made any two identical snowflakes or fingerprints. I'm just telling you god God specializes in little things jesus Jesus att- the attention of Jesus when the people were bringing their offering into the temple was not on the people who brought all the money. it was a widow with a little mite and I think it and I, I'm thinking about the new year I'm thinking about the challenge of a new year, I'm thinking about you know, having an optimistic view of what God could do in our lives, our family, our church, our community, and just saying we ought to look at things not the way we naturally see it, we ought to look at the way, things the way God says, and um, he, he likes little things, he, he likened the kingdom of heaven to a mustard seed, the smallest, right, that's the way God is. Gideon had no right to be confident in his army. He had 32,000 people, though. God said, that's too many. I think we'd have a better chance if we only had 300. Right? That's God. That's the way God is. So something that we see this in in Zechariah, we see it in Haggai, we see it here in uh, the book of Ezra, that... Something perceived as little would bring great glory to God. So the, here's the, just a simple thought tonight. And that is little steps, little steps, insignificant small steps can be a big deal. You don't believe that? Watch when your child or grandchild takes their first steps. Nobody ever took first steps like those steps. So let's think about our own lives. What about the things in our life? What, what little things could a person do? Little things. And I, and to me, I think we would agree there, there are fairly small things that could really set you in a better direction. Just a, little, just a little thing of spending a few minutes every day with God in the Word of God. You know, I had this thought today. There are 168 hours in a week. What if, you, what if you just gave God nine of those hours? 168 hours. Let's just say you give God nine. What could you do in those nine hours? Let me tell you what you could do in nine hours in a week. You could go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday school. You could spend 20 minutes every day reading your Bible and praying. And you could spend an hour and a half at visitation. If you just give God nine hours. Nine of the 168 hours you have. That would be a pretty good investment, wouldn't you think? That's not a major thing. That's not a lot. Right? That's not a lot. But it doesn't take a lot. You know, this is, um, this is not new, but it's worth remi- reminding ourselves I mean, people in this room, there's probably people in this room who have been saved longer than I have, my wife and I. We've been saved 44 years. But this is what I really believe about this subject we're talking about. There are about five or six things, that, little things, that we started doing 45 years ago, 44 years ago, still doing those same four or five little things, and it's absolutely changed our life. What, what could... Spending time every day with God in His Word. Give God the first part of everything God gives us. Give it back to God. Not a big deal. Whatever God gives you, just give the first part back to Him. Deal with your sins instantly. As soon as you recognize you've done something wrong, make it right with God make it right with others. Be faithful in the house of God. I mean, these are not big things. If you think... If you think now, if I, had to, if I had to go into a fiery furnace... You know, I'd think that's a big thing. If I had to spend the night in the lion's den, I'd think that was a big deal. But these are not big. It's not a big deal to open your Bible up and spend 20 minutes a day reading your Bible and talking to God. That's not a big deal. It's a little thing. But that little thing can change your life. Don't just do it one day. Don't just do it for one week. Don't just do it for one year. Do it for the rest of your life. And so when I look back on my life, I don't look back and say, these are the major, major decisions we made that shaped our life. I, don't, I look at these little small things that we did, and we just kept doing those little small things. But people despise those little things. No, oh, it's not that important. It's not that big. It won't make that big a difference. I promise you it will. Don't let yourself walk around with a grudge. Make things right with God. Make things right with others. Experience God's forgiveness and offer God's forgiveness to others. These are little things... That can make a big difference. Little steps are a big deal. I've been—we've been doing this for so many years. As far as supporting missions, giving, encouraging people to give something every week above your tide to missions, and—and and I, I, I don't—I don't challenge people. Why don't you give a hundred dollars a week above your tide to missions? Now, some people may give that, but I don't challenge them to do that. But do something, right? You say, well, I, 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 could, I probably could do $10 a week, but it's not, that's not a big deal. Hey, there are no unimportant decisions. The, it's the little things that make the difference. It's the little things that put us on the right track. I think a key to success is doing small things and doing them well Doing them consistently. By the way, I think another key to success is appreciating small things. The little things. Things that are good. Things that are of God. Things that God sends our way. Changes don't have to be big to make a big difference. They don't. So I'm I'm challenging again tonight. And it's the second day. It's the second day of January. I'm challenging. Young person, I'm challenging tonight. Maybe yesterday wasn't a great day. Hopefully you hadn't just ruined your year already. But why don't you say, I'm going to start doing these two or three, four things. Little things. I'm going to start doing them, I'm going to keep doing them. Not, I don't want to do it because it's good for me and it's good for God and it's good for others. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I mean, I don't want you to raise your hand, but you think about this. Do you really believe if a person invested 20 minutes of their life every day with an open Bible, reading some passages of Scripture, praying, starting your day off with God, do you really think that would make a major difference if you did that every day this year? It would make a major difference in lives. And I'm not saying that because a lot of people do that all the time. But don't don't despise that. That's what they did. They were despising the little things. They said that's not. This is not the big. Give me something big. Remember when uh, God sent uh, uh, to Elijah or Elisha, Naaman uh, to help Naaman with this leprosy, and he said. He said, here's what I want you to do. He didn't come out. He said, just go dip seven times in the Jordan River. I've been to the Jordan River. Indian Creek's a better place than Jordan River. <laughs> you know what? He said, I'm not. that's nothing. Syria has much more beautiful rivers than that. I'm not going to do that. That's too little. And his, finally, his compadre said, hey, man, it's worth it. Try it. Why not try it? We're here. Let's just try it. One time, two times, three times, six times. But after he came up after the seventh time, his leprosy was gone. Just a little thing. Don't despise little things. Don't despise small things. You take, you take a service like this. Midweek service. Just simple singing praises to God, fellowshipping together, listening to a Bible lesson. There's nothing big about it. It's... We're not trying to make it big. It's just, it's just simple. But let me tell you, a person could sit here tonight and say, you know what? I'm going to start doing that. That little, that little instruction I got, I can start doing that, and it could change your life. Right? It could change your life. And it's not because it's big and glamorous and. It's because it's simply doing what God says to do. And by the way, you've heard this before. And a revivalist of the 1800s is credited with saying this. I'm not sure who really said it. But what revival is, is just a fresh step of obedience. See, if you know you're going the wrong direction, and you decide to go in a better direction, you've already improved your life. Right? Right? You say isn't it supposed to be more? And that's the problem I think with people is they want everything to be big and large and exciting and glamorous when it just really boils down to just doing what God says to do, and keep doing it. Doing it when it feels good, doing it when it doesn't feel good at all. Just do it. Just keep doing the right thing. Don't don't. And when you're, my, and I've said this to people so many times in counseling with them, who maybe they're drowning in their problems and bad decisions. I said I'm just looking for progress. Give me a day or two or a week of progress and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to celebrate progress. You say, well, don't you want everything to be fixed? Yeah, but everything, we don't usually mess our lives up in one or two decisions. We mess it up in a lot of decisions. And they don't get fixed in one or two decisions. Just get in a better direction and stay on it. Amen? And, and see what God can do. So, right here tonight, I mean, there's, would it be something, there could be someone here tonight say, you know, I've been been thinking about this, I've been dealing with this, I really don't know if I'm saved, but I want to get this this matter settled. It doesn't have to be a bombastic sermon, it just needs to be truth. And your response to truth what does God say? What What would God want me to do? And I'm, 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 I'm just appealing to your conscience tonight. And I'm thinking about young people because I love young people. But if you're not doing the simple things I'm talking about, that God promises to bless in your life, you're missing out on what God has for you. And tonight could be the night. This service could be a night. Turned you around. Amen. And God gets the glory. God gets the glory. Don't despise the little things. Little things like a special song, little things like a Bible sermon. Don't despise the little things because God uses little things. Amen?